Um, let's turn to God's word where we find comfort and peace and challenge. Um, as Pastor Chad said, um, this is uh, it's the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5. We're making our way through verse by verse. Last week we talked about an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Today, it's Jesus' challenge to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute uh, us. And before we even read the scripture, I want us each to take just a moment and try to think of someone that God might be calling us to love and pray for. You know, maybe, maybe it is an enemy. Maybe you can think right away of an enemy, of somebody who just is against you, who opposes you, who's kind of on the other team, and you may not even understand why or where it comes from, but they just feel like an enemy to you. Or, you know, sometimes I recognize it's difficult to think of someone, you know, personally that, that is an enemy, but who do we have trouble forgiving? You know, maybe someone hurt us. Maybe someone came up against us physically, emotionally, whatever it would be. But, you know, we might be tempted to, you know, gossip about them or talk about them. Um, who do we find ourselves thinking negative thoughts about? You know, too much. They're kind of in our head, and we can't seem to let go of that to God. Just... Hold this person in your mind as we begin this morning and let Jesus' words, let the word of God speak to you about that. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So it, it probably isn't difficult for people who lost all of their wealth to Bernie Madoff to think of someone, you know, to think of an enemy. And he was in the news this week again because he passed away on Wednesday. Um, those maybe that don't remember or, um, you know, didn't, don't read the news or whatever, about 12 years ago, it was uncovered that he did the largest Ponzi scheme in the, you know, the history of the U.S. He stole millions and billions of dollars from people. He took people's life savings, he took um, the, the foundations of nonprofits, and he spent them on himself and his own lavish living, and he lied. He lied year after year after year. For 50 years, he lied and told people that they had the money to retire, the money to purchase homes, whatever it was. 
and they didn't. A sinful man, a man who steals and lies. And yet, <clears throat> what's sort of doubly sad is that they interviewed some of the people, some of his victims. They interviewed them after he died this week, and this was in the newspaper on, uh, on Thursday. And th this is what they had to say. Uh, one, one person said, I'm sorry he's dead because I wished he'd been tortured a long while more in jail. But now that he's dead, I will dance on his grave. Another man said, I hope he rots. And then he talked about a place where people rot. I have no compassion for him or his family in any way, shape, or form. And that's, that's the human condition. So you have one person who is sinful, who lies and cheats and steals and victimizes hundreds of people. And then he dies, as we all will someday. And this person that is victimized and this person that is an enemy to so many people, he's dead. And what do we do with that? A lot of times my work as a pastor is helping people forgive someone who's not even here anymore. Someone that we've got to forgive even though they're not on this earth. But the truly heartbreaking thing is that hatred of enemies, hatred of enemies destroys us from the inside. And these quotes show some of that hatred because the hate and the hurt and the pain is just sort of being recycled and kicked around and it, and it spreads. In this, in this passage, Jesus gives us three reasons why we shouldn't hate our enemies, but we should actually love our enemies. Three reasons why we should love our enemies. We should love the people that come against us. We should love the people that hurt us. First, let's, uh, let's think about the, the context and the words that Jesus was, was teaching. You know, there was this understanding at the time uh, that you love your neighbor, and he quotes Leviticus chapter 19. That is something that had been handed down through the generations into Jesus' time. But the religious teachers of the day, they were teaching this, this prevailing attitude of the day. And maybe they got it from Scripture, from something like you know, Psalm 139. If only you would slay the wicked, O God. Sort of this idea that, you know, that God's enemies should be destroyed. But then again, from our human perspective, we don't know who's God, who, who God's enemy is. We don't know the person that's wicked today might be repentant and humble tomorrow. But that became the prevailing attitude of the time. And the, the religious teachers were saying, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, especially the Romans that are occupying us, that are on our land, that are in our neighborhoods, that are telling us what to do. Remember last week we talked about how any Roman soldier should, could come to one of God's people and say, carry my belongings for a mile. And there's nothing they could do. They just had to do it. 
This, this kind of attitude, this you know, sort of love your neighbor, love the people that are part of your tribe, your group, and hate everyone else, that's what cults do. That's a mark of a cult. To say everyone that's in, oh yeah, I'm going to love or I'm going to you know, try to love or we, we all love each other, but everyone that's out there, they're an enemy. And eventually, a cult you know, declares war on all the enemies, all the people that are out here. So Jesus comes into this world, this broken world, this, this world where people are hurt, people fight, families fall out with each other just like today. And Jesus says, love your enemies. Why? The first reason he gives is that we should love our enemies because God loves everyone. That God loves even the people that we struggle with. You know, Jesus says, for he makes his sun rise on the good, on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. He makes the sun rise on everyone. And, you know, I thank God that this morning he gave us an example of that. <laughs> even today or even yesterday, every single person in Portland got to experience the warmth of the sun. The most evil and wicked person, the most kind and generous and loving person, but we all got to enjoy the sun. And even the sunrise if we woke up early enough. Jesus is saying that that points to God, that there must be a good and loving and kind creator that brings such beauty into the world. And God is, does not you know, discriminate in that way, but he sends the sun. And not only is the sun, the bright sun in the sky, you know, give beauty to the world, but it helped them. It helped them grow their crops. It helped them feed their families. It helped them provide for those around them. And the rain as well. You know, we're pretty used to the rain in the Pacific Northwest. We might dread it. It might, you know, bring on our seasonal affective disorder or whatever. But for them, they needed rain to grow crops. Think of all the stories in the Old Testament of the people of God being in the desert, going through droughts. They needed rain. And God gave them rain. Not only God's chosen people, the people of Israel, but everyone. Jesus puts it, this way, he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. A few years ago, uh, my, uh, my family, uh, my father-in-law, my brother-in-law, my wife and I, we took a vacation to Vietnam. And you know, that sounds crazy to certain of a, people of a certain generation because we were all trying to, you know, steer clear of Vietnam. But I assure you, it's a beautiful country and we had a wonderful experience there. One of the days, we took a bike tour, and the tour guide led us on our bicycles through these beautiful, beautiful rice fields. Vietnam is the second largest exporter in the world of rice. The whole country is just covered in rice fields. They have so much rice that not only can it provide for all the people to eat you know, two, three times a day, but they can send it all over the world and it helps them provide for their families and build up their economy and all that sort of thing. Well, I, I looked it up this week because I was thinking about 
God sending rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. 75% of people in Vietnam, three out of four people, are atheists. They don't believe in God at all. And isn't it interesting that all these people that don't even believe in God, don't know that he's there, wouldn't think that he's the one that gives them the sun and the rain to grow their rice. He's doing it all the time. And not only that, but an abundance, <laughs> you know, above and beyond so that they can share with the world. Even the people that don't believe in God, God believes in them. God reaches out in love to them. And so Jesus says the first reason is that whoever it is, whoever it is in your mind, whatever enemy that these disciples had, whatever enemy that we have, think of them through God's lens. God loves them. God cares about them. God created them. The second reason Jesus gives is that he wants his followers, he's sharing this with his disciples and people that have come to the mountain to learn from him. He wants his disciples to live differently. He wants them to live in a countercultural way. And so Jesus talks about the tax collectors and the pagans and says, you know, they live like this. And a lot of them are you know, they're, they're fair and square. If somebody loves them, they love them back. If somebody greets them, they greet them back. But I want my people to be different. There's no reward in if you love somebody who already loves you. But the rewards are incredible when you learn to forgive. When you learn to give love to someone who's only giving you hatred and vitriol and violence. These, these mass shootings that we have in our country, they are insane. The way, that we, the way that we kill one another, the way that we kill strangers, and it's heartbreaking. And they, they leave a wake of grief and pain you know, for decades, for decades. There was a mass shooting in, in Pennsylvania about 15 years ago now, perhaps um, you remember it, but honestly, so many of them just bleed together. A man broke into, a man broke into a school and he killed those Amish children. And there was a, uh, a book that came out of it. It's a wonderful book. It's called Amish Grace, How Forgiveness Transcended Tragedy. And it tells the story about these believers in Jesus, these Amish people, the parents and the grandparents, how they forgave the shooter, the one that, that took their children and their grandchildren. And they said incredible things. They said holy words. They said the kind of words that Jesus said 2,000 years ago and the kind of words that Jesus would say if he was there today. They, they said, we must not think evil of this man. We must not think evil of this man because if we think evil of him and we, and we play the, the role of God, then it only tears us up inside. If we think we know then we're trying to be God. 
One, one father said that the shooter had a mother and a wife and a soul. And now he's standing before a just God. He had a mother and a wife and a soul, and now he's standing before a just God. I don't know exactly what he meant by that idea of a, of a just God. Um, whether, but, that, but I know that it gives him so much peace, knowing that all of us have to stand before God at the end of our lives, and that he trusts that God is in charge, that God is God and he is not, and God will make sense of things, and God will do right, that we all will stand before a just God. I don't want to throw the victims of Bernie Madoff under the bus because they have suffered enough. But, and there's probably many of them that think like this and that we're able to forgive, but the people quoted in the paper this week, do you see the difference between them and these Amish people? With no God, there, there's no definition of justice. There's no repercussions. And therefore, how do we forgive? But this Amish community, it lived, in, it lived in a holy world. It lived in the kingdom of God. It lived differently. And it gives you the power to forgive because you know you have a just God who's going to do right in the end. They had a power of Jesus inside of them. You know, the, the lifeblood of their Savior. They, and they become more and more like Jesus. It's not their own strength. Do you, think they're, do you think they willed themselves to forgive or that they came up with that in their own human intelligence? It was God. And it was a lifetime of following Jesus and accumulating wisdom from Jesus. They, the, the book says that there's, you know, there's a... There's a, a discipline within their church. There's a, 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 you know, a motto. We don't hold grudges. <laughs> we don't hold grudges. It's, it's part of what it means to be part of their church. And so even in the, in the most disgusting crime, even in the harshest thing, they, they move to forgiveness. And, their, and the love of God overcame their loss, and gave them forgiveness. That's different. That's being countercultural. That's exchanging love for people that are filled with hate. Third, Jesus said that we love our enemies because of the reward. You know, the reward is that you may be children of your Father in heaven, the reward is that you have an intimate relationship with God because you are acting like God acts. When you do that, you live into your identity as a child of God. Genesis 1.26 says that everyone was made in the image of God. Male and female, he created them. And so we, we become like, like God, like our Father. And, and like, you know, like... Children resemble their parents. There's a family resemblance. 
and we forgive like Jesus. Jesus reminded us that God is good, that he causes the sun to rise on everyone, that he sends the rain on everyone, that he blesses everyone. And so if you want intimacy with God, you, you live like that. You forgive your enemies. You model love to people that, that don't deserve it. Even the, the greeting that Jesus was discussing in that time, the way that they greeted one another in the streets and in the marketplace, they said, Shalom alaka, Shalom, that blessing that I give to each one of you each week. It means peace and wholeness and fullness of well-being. Jesus is saying, greet your enemy with that and, and mean it. You know, hope for them that they will find peace that they will find wholeness, that they will experience the fullness of our life following Jesus. Pray for them that they will find God's will for their life. You know, Jesus said, pray for people that persecute you. Well, there's a way to pray for people that's very condescending, that you look down upon people, that's just sort of your own way to gripe at God. No, Jesus says to pray for them to pray shalom for them and to extend love. Why would we do this? I mean, I've given three reasons. Jesus gives three reasons here, but then at the end of his life, Jesus demonstrated a fourth reason. And Paul captures that well in Romans 5. He says, if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more shall we be saved through his life? Paul points out that in our natural state, that without Christ, we are God's enemies. And in that natural state, God sent Jesus to us, to his enemies, to the people going after him. And Jesus loved us. And turned us from being an enemy to being in his family, to being a child of God. And he's willing to go all the way to the cross to demonstrate that love, that enemy love that he has. And what did Jesus say as his body was being ravaged, as he was breathing his last breaths, as he was experiencing spiritual agony. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They're my enemies, or they think they're my enemies. But forgive them. The only real response that we can have when we see Jesus on the cross, when we see his teaching, when we see his life laid out for us. We just have to say what that Roman soldier said. Surely this man is the Son of God. This is no mere human being. It's not human wisdom to love people that hate us, to give back to our enemies, but it's God's divine wisdom, God's divine love for his people that even while we were enemies, 
Christ gave his life for us. Live for him. Walk with him. Receive his mercy today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that everything that Jesus said was true and right and good and from you. That you are so good that you send sunshine on the righteous and the unrighteous, that you send rain on the fields of even people who don't believe in you and who cry out against you. But you are good and your love endures forever. May this love flow through us so that we can forgive the people that have hurt us, so that we can turn the other cheek, so that we can extend kindness to those we encounter this week that are being anything but kind. Fill us with your spirit, Lord, and renew us so that we don't trust in our human understanding or human wisdom, but in your wisdom from on high the kind of love that can transform us, that can help us extend grace to those that, that seek to hurt. Lord God, we look to you into your strength as we do this. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.